This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, moving from success to significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Hey, welcome to this week on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, and we're just excited to welcome everybody back here, and it's just been so great. Um, everything we've heard from everybody about being written up in Inc. Magazine and making the top 100 blog spot, and, and as you, everybody here knows, our mission is to equip and inspire leaders to work in God's kingdom, and I just think it's just so awesome to see what God's moving as, as we're one of the only faith-based leadership podcasts out there that's moving into some of these big lists and it's all because of you guys and so just a huge thank you um, and if I could ask everybody out there listening if you could just tell one friend about what we're doing and also uh, this next guest uh, Jim Brangenberg hey Jim welcome to the podcast by the way well thanks John privilege to be here yes you guys are going to want to plug in and listen to jim we're always trying to get you guys the best resources just the best conversations to equip you in what you're trying to do and jim and i were just talking before we got started right jim we found something out about each other that kind of blew us away huh it's staggering it is absolutely staggering to me what what we just realized so i asked jim jim where did you grow up i'm like he said, Jim, where did you grow up? I grew up in Burnsville, Minnesota. And I'm like, really? I said, Jim, where do you think I grew up? And he goes, I don't know. I said, I grew up in Burnsville, Minnesota. And it turns out that we grew up in the same neighborhood. And we went almost on the winters. Everybody in Minnesota has an outdoor rink that like the community has. He would skate at the same rink that I would with my friends. We probably skated there together for years. We probably knew who each other were. We just never... It never connected that we became friends, huh, Jim? Well, we lived in different. Well, you, li- I lived on a street. You lived in a cul-de-sac. You know, right. we lived three hundred yards from each other. But I-, I think it's staggering that you grew up in Vilda Park. I-, I think it is stag. Only people that live there would even know how to say that. So I, I think it's amazing. <laughs> I know. Even you even knew Wind Cave Court. So what a small world. So we shared some pretty cool stories. If you guys aren't from the north, man. Stories about outdoor rinks and warming huts, and that warming hut always smelled kind of like a really stinky sauna, didn't it? Like the the, the wood smell, remember? <laughs> it smelled like a hockey locker room with a wood-burning stove, yes. Yes, exactly. Well, anyway, hey, um, guys, Jim has just been doing incredible work. I got introduced to Jim through the work that I'm doing with Love 2020, and he's part of that team. We, we're we're going to be touching on that a little bit. And Jim just has this passionate faith and just follows Jesus and just Jesus and just really, Jim, you have this expertise in helping um, Christian business owners, people, you don't have to just be an owner, really connect that faith in their work. And you've worked with your wife, Martha, you guys have been married for 30 years to really use this, um, uses this passion. Um, And also, uh, you have a passion for really helping people with just a strong marriage every day. So... You know, hey, thank you for taking the time and coming here because I think this is such an important topic. Um, It's been interesting, Jim, in the last two weeks especially, the number of emails that I'm receiving and phone calls from all over the world from people that are really trying to figure out two things. First of all is really what is their place in God's story, right? What is that calling? And the other one is what 
what does that look like if that calling is in the marketplace? And a lot of people, I really think that that's kind of what is holding them back from embracing it because that is not what they envision or maybe kind of what they think is appropriate for a calling that it's something actually at work that we're, you know, you're working and you're making money and you're doing things like that. That doesn't sound like traditional ministry. So I would love for you to just share, you know, as we, you know, your thoughts on just that whole part of, of kingdom building. You know, I, I will say that one of the things I've learned is that, you know, I work for him as a radio show, which literally the day we're recording, today we're recording, tomorrow is the four-year anniversary of I work for him going on the air. And uh, as a ministry, I really thought at first, hey, this is for business people. We're really trying to encourage business people and their faith. But really, I started getting complaint phone calls like, wait a minute, what about me? I'm a nurse. I'm not a business person. What about me? I'm a teacher. I'm not a business person. What about me? I, I run a nonprofit. I'm not a business person. And so we really learned that it's the focus is on the workplace and that our workplace is our mission field. And that in that mission field, you and me may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. And, and so it's expanded so much, but people desperately, they're hungry to hear that that what they do every day has purpose, has meaning, that God has them there on, perp- on purpose, for a purpose, to represent Him. And when people understand that, it is life-transforming. Yeah, I agree, right? Transformation, permanent change. Now, um, because you know what? There's a lot of people, right, the... Uh, I do a lot of leadership training and work with companies. And if I just look at, you know, the stats out there, right, it's something like uh, only 30% of the people in a, in a culture or a company or would rate themselves as engaged or highly engaged, right? And we're going to work and sometimes, you man, we're just showing up because we got to get through the motions. But when we can connect what we do and understand the why of what we do it and who we are as we do it, it totally changes the playing field, doesn't it? Well, it's really what Romans 12, 2 is all about. You know, Romans 12, 2 is, is a summary of, for me, of what the faith and work movement is all about. And I love the, uh, the version that comes from the, uh, the New Living Translation, because it, it comes out, it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And when you look at that as it relates to how we work, if all we do is work as the world works, our work will never have meaning. It'll just be a means to an end, an end that Christ followers shouldn't even be pursuing, which is retirement and relaxing for 30 years. But when we start to realize that our faith should be completely intersected and interlaced and woven into our work, all of a sudden, it changes everything about us. You know, John, one thing I realized, when Jesus, when people met Jesus, as it's documented in the Gospels, what happened yeah. to those people? They changed. Either they changed or they walked away. Well, they were changed. They were Nobody that ever met Jesus was ever the same again. Like you said, they either were miraculously changed or they went away depressed, like the rich young ruler who said, oh, dude, I'm not doing that. Yeah. No way. And you know that he remembered that conversation throughout the rest of his life. And, and that's the way it should be changing and affecting us in our workplaces. I mean, that's what we talk about on I Work For Him. I mean, it's when – I, I got to tell you a great story, and I'll let you ask another question. But about four or five months ago, I got an email from a guy from Malawi, which is just north of South Africa. 
Now, understand, we, we're on iHeartRadio as well as live on the radio, and we do everything's podcasted on iTunes. I have no idea how this guy really ran across me and what version, but he was searching for Transworld Radio, and I had just interviewed a guy from Transworld Radio, and so he heard about me, and, and he sends me this page-long email in impeccable English saying, Jim, nobody's ever told me that my workplace was a mission field. Nobody ever told me that I should be praying for the people I work with. Nobody told me I should be praying for my boss. I started doing that. Oh, my word, my life has never been the same. How incredible is that? You know, thank you. You know, thank you for sharing that. And think about that in that workplace, you know, because a lot of us, we have, you know, some difficult coworkers, difficult bosses. But what if we were that person that actually showed up so differently modeling what Jesus would do if he was in that situation? And what would that look like, Jim? Well, I, I would tell you the... the when I challenge people to bring their faith to work, to, to mm-hmm. start to see how it interlaces with what they do, uh, I define it by something that we call in I work for him, the I work for him nation pledge. And, and it's not like a, a cult or anything like that, but it's just here's, here's what we ask people to do. Start praying for their coworkers and employees by name every day and, and not don't do anything. Don't start witnessing. Don't do it. Just start praying for people because when you pray for people, what happens? Your heart changes. You start to see people the way God does. And so that's the first thing I would tell you to do in your workplace. The second thing is to look for ways to serve people over and above your normal call to duty. Look just, and look for ways then to befriend people outside of the workplace because it's relationships that gives us opportunities to really share the impact that Jesus has made in our lives. And then look for a way to pray with people when you notice they're having a rough day. If we really pay attention, you know, Jesus was really good at paying attention to people. He was a noticer. He, he noticed people. If we would pay attention to people's normal demeanor, and then on a day where their demeanor is different, it just is, it's downcast, we say, hey, what's going on? And you let them tell us. Then you say, hey, can I pray with you about that? And I've never, ever once had somebody say no. Not one time, never. But all along, while you're doing those things, be a person of excellence, because if we as Christ followers are not excellent in what we do, no matter what it is, whether you're a car mechanic, whether you're an electrician, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a CFO, whether you're an accountant, a comptroller, whether you're a stockbroker, whatever you do, we need to do it with excellence and with integrity, because that gives us the opportunity to then have a platform to actually share our faith when the opportunity allows itself. You know, you're well. A couple great points there. So, first of all, you're really you're really almost bringing the humanity of who you were created to be back into the workplace. It's not just a place to show up, get a job done. It's about there's lives around you, and what you're talking about is how do I take a sincere interest in all those folks around me? And think about it: if you're doing a job and you're doing it excellently. And you get to know somebody and they're either going through a challenge or maybe they have a passion on their heart for something outside of work and you help them, right? You not just not you connect them to somebody or you encourage them or you even just ask them about it. How many people in the workplace even come in and have conversations that are meaningful about things that are not about the transactions that are in front of us on our desk every day? Well, a lot of us miss that opportunity. We work through lunch. Uh, we we don't take our breaks. Uh, we don't give ourselves extra time. Where you know, sometimes we we punch in at eight, we punch out at five, and and we're nothing but you know busy during the day. 
But we're surrounded by people who are hurting. We're surrounded by people who desperately want to know that there's more to life than what they see. Mm -hmm. We're surrounded by people who know there's got to be more, but they don't ever hear any hopeful news. They don't ever see anything hopeful. They get cut off on their way to work by people that have fish on the back of their cars. <laughs> They're like, well, who can we, you know, who can we actually put our trust in? And, and, and so if we approach our workplace like it's a mission field, if we approach our workplace, as I, I, for the last several weeks, I've been highlighting a ministry called Work Life, and, it, and, it's, and it's a ministry for everybody, and it's transforming us from that thank God it's Friday attitude to thank God it's Monday, the first day of our mission field, understanding that instead of moaning about Monday, that we celebrate the fact that we are getting launched into our mission field on Mondays. That, that is a transformational experience. Oh, I love that. I, you know, <laughs> you know, we talk about how do you create a culture where your employees just love coming in on Monday? And you know what? If you created a culture that, you know, that's affirming, that's, you know, everything that you're talking about, you're going to be doing that for people. But I'm, but, you know, I'm also thinking, right, as we're, uh, I like to think about the practical things. How do we do this, right? How do we start showing up differently? Because a lot of us, you know what? We have habits. How we react to certain people. How do we react to people when they're gossiping? And I'll tell you right now, if we're participating in gossiping, you are losing all of our authority and credibility to have any influence in our workplace for the kingdom. Would you agree? I totally agree. And it is so easy to get caught up in that because we think that even when you go to church, yeah. Excuse me. Even when you go to church, people have to pray. Hey, what's your prayer request? And their prayer requests always tend to be like, you know, like, well, my neighbor, she's having a problem. And it always ends up being like a gossipy kind of prayer thing. That is not God honoring at all. But when you, if you are a person of integrity and excellence in your workplace and you are quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, things that I've been working on all 50 years of my life, that really speaks volumes to people. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about creating a culture. How, as a business person, as a business person or a leader, as a business owner or leader, how do you create a culture that honors Christ? How do you create a culture where people feel loved? It always starts at the top. And I'm amazed at how many business owners and leaders don't realize the power of their influence. And the fact that, you know, I interviewed a guy here in Tampa who uh, ran a, a large uh, manufacturing company, and, and he shared on the air how every day before anybody got to work, he went around and he prayed at every cubicle for that person. Mm-hmm. Just He just prayed for him. And, and it's, how would Jesus create a culture like that? I mean, Jesus just loved people right where they're at. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't judge them. He, he ministered to them right in their sin, and then he called them out of their sin, but he loved them right where they're at. That's a huge key. And whether it's a small company or a big company, we need to love people right where they're at and and then take them from where they're at and draw them closer to Christ just through our attitude and our actions and sometimes our words. And sometimes our words. I love that. Well, something, you know, you know my friend Ford Taylor, right, Jim? I, I do know your friend Ford Taylor very well. So, you know, one of the things we talk about and we teach when we're working in companies and, you know, creating this to try to shift that mindset um, is kind of this concept is, you know, great people, they talk about vision and ideas. And we want to be those great people. Average people talk about things. Small people talk about other people. Smaller people let them, even smaller people join them, and even smaller people tell others. So let, let's be those folks 
that mm-hmm. are coming in. We're talking about visions and ideas and things that not only we're passionate about, but connect and find out what somebody else is passionate about. Um, which could be, you know, there, you know, uh, a loved one is going through a health problem, or you know what, uh, one of the things that just came up in a workplace we're working with. Uh, as they had started developing more, you know, better relationships, all of a sudden, because they had a, a understood this relationship, they realized that something was wrong. And they went up to this person and God just put it on their heart and said, man, hey, are you thinking of hurting yourself in this person who had been way too happy for the last week? I mean, like over the top cheerful. Okay. That was a big change for this person. Mm. broke down weeping and in tears because she said, yes, she had planned this weekend of, of flipping the switch. Mm. Oh, my. Right? Mm. Now, that is, that's a God intervention, but you know what? The foundation had been laid because this person took some time to get to know them and spend some time with them and understand them in the con you know in the context of building the relationship and trying to get this transaction done, you know, the work that we have to get done in the workplace. So imagine just, you know, what we want to do is in that marketplace, if we can just have influence over, you know, one or two lives at a time, you know, this is something that we're passionate about here. We call it project 100. Uh, Jim, our goal in the next five years is to touch a million people for the kingdom in a positive transformational way. And when I, that first was put on my heart, I'm like, man, there's no, how does one person do that? Well, one person doesn't, but what God showed me is, you know what, a hundred times a hundred times a hundred is a million. Mm-hmm. So what if over just the next two years, I can just take an interest and be there and talk with and sow into and equip a hundred different people who all have an influence in a sphere that I will probably never touch or talk to. And, you know, it's through that that God can just continue to work. And through that, we can change organizations, companies cities, communities, and nations. And, it, and it's all driven by love. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's really what the Love 2020 movement's all about, you know, bringing an authentic touch of Christ into the workplace. I mean, it's our people, are the our country, it's a mess. And it's only a mess because as Christ followers, a lot of us have conclaved ourselves into four walls instead of infiltrating and with a battle plan into our culture. And and that's what the faith and work movement's all about. It's like breaking down the walls and bringing our faith back everywhere we go. And, and again, going back to what you said, how do we create a culture where Christ is honored and people are loved and people love their jobs? You know, I think it's those business owners and leaders that are listening to this today to recognize that their workplace, it is their mission field, but they're the senior minister in that workplace. They're the senior pastor of the place. And what is the primary role of a pastor, a really good pastor that understands their primary role? What is that primary role, John? What do you think? Hmm. You know, I think it's to really um, to teach, train, and equip the folks that are around them, to, to cast a vision of something different, to serve the people, to teach, train, and equip them. And really to empower them to work in their faith. Okay, but then secondarily, how does he get it done? He gets it done through relationship. Oh, he gets completely. it done through yep. shepherding. Mm. He gets it done through shepherding. And a true pastor really understands the power of shepherding. And 
if, if if a business owner leader understands his his or her role in that position of the chief influencing officer of the company, whatever they want to, they could be their CIO, uh, but with a different eye. But you look at the power of shepherding. What that's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus changed the world by shepherding twelve guys really, really well. Yeah, he sure did. And, and there's a book. I, I I don't know how you handle all this, but I I read. I read prolifically, 50 to 60 books a year having to do with the radio show. I'm already through 24 this year. But there's a book I read a couple of years ago uh, called The Way of the Shepherd, the most powerful management book I've ever read. And, and, it, and, it, and it really drew the parallels between being a manager and being a shepherd. And, and it, was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it changed my life. It, it was one of the greatest management books I've ever read. The way of the shepherd. I'm going to get that. I, you know, since my accident, um, it's hard for me to actually read. Uh, mm. But whenever I'm in my car now, my car has become my traveling university gym. I don't listen to the radio anymore, except some occasionally a little bit of music. But I always have an audio. I'm going to try not to take offense to that. By the way, <laughs> I have an audio book on. I have a podcast on. You know, things like that. I'm always trying to listen to things that are going to honestly equip me but help me to help others right because it's amazing as you as you fill this stuff and you put it in your brain and and you put good stuff in there and all of a sudden you're in a situation with somebody like man some something's coming to mind that you know you pull out of all this good stuff if you put it in your brain that's there to help them right and this way, of the shepherd is written by Kevin Lehman. By the way, I was trying to think of the name of the author. I, I read so many books, but there's there's a lot of great books out there. That one's a short one, and it has got powerful imagery to be able to to really apply it to a business owner, or a leader, uh, and to understand the value of being a shepherd to their people. But I think a lot of leaders miss the opportunities to understand that if you're going to be a great leader, you got to practice some of the things that Jesus did. I mean, what are some of the things that Jesus did? He was phenomenal when he was asked a question. He mm -hmm. was phenomenal at asking questions back, mm -hmm. asking great questions. He didn't give a lot of answers. He asked great questions to get people to think on their own. But he also confronted people. And, and, and a lot of us have grown up in, in a world, and certainly people younger than us, John, have grown up in a world where nobody does confrontation. Everybody's okay. You know, we don't want to ruffle the feathers. You know, let's just be correct. But – Confrontation is necessary in order for people to grow. I agree. Now let, let, let's kind of dig into that a little bit. So, um, you know, people listening, right? Um, what does it look like to be in a mode of questioning, like Jesus did, versus you know somebody comes up to me and shares, right? A lot of times, you, uh, my my, maybe this is a guy thing, right? My mode is, hey, I, they're asking me for advice. But what does it look like to ask questions and, you know, kind of just start this process of how we're showing up at work? I'll tell you what, for a guy like you or me who are used to giving advice, it is the toughest skill to exercise. <laughs> to, to, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to ask questions. But I have to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please help me to ask the right questions because – I'm, I, I think I know a lot of stuff, and sometimes I do, but a lot of times I don't really know unless the Holy Spirit helps me understand what this person's really asking. And so I got I stop in, in, you know, in that millisecond and say, okay, Holy Spirit, I need help understanding 
what is really being asked. And I need to go back and ask questions because I need, if my people are going to be great people, I've got to equip them to ask quite great questions of themselves. You know, and I'll, and I'll, I'll do another plug for another interview that I've done with Bob TD. I'm sure you've had Bob TD on your, on your, your leadership podcast. Have you ever had Bob TD on? I have, and I love his book. Great yes, leaders yeah. ask great questions. It's a great yes. book for people to get. And it's just the whole premise behind you, we got to be asking questions because if we just give answers, people are dependent on us and they'll never grow. They'll never grow. So, you know, here's here's a here's just a little thing, guy. You know, if you guys are listening right now, when somebody, you know, makes a statement or you think of advice, or even if it's something simple about, hey, how do I get this report done? And you know how to do it and you can tell them boom, boom, boom. You know, before you jump into being directive, ask two questions. Just that's all you have to do, right? And when you start to do that, they have to start to think for themselves. And it could be anything about their personal life, the work life, but you're going to start changing this dynamic where you're starting to equip people. But what you're doing is you're doing two things. You're building the relationship, and we're also um, connecting with equipping them on how to do the the transaction better. And when you put those two together, because the transaction and the relational side of of the workplace is where there can be a lot of, you know, sometimes conflict because all of us are wired differently. And we want to we want to be able to operate in that middle place where we honor the relationship more than the transaction, but we do both well. So think about that. Just ask two questions before um, you do what most of us is our habit is to just answer a question or go into, hey, here's what I would do or here's how to do it. I, I love what Bob T.D. said, John. He says, I- I'm I- I'm a, a re- what does he say? I'm a uh, recovering teller. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, a re- I'm a recovering teller. We don't, we don't need to be tellers. I mean, if we if we tell our if all we do is tell our kids all the answers and never challenge them to grow up and seek the answers on their own, they're never going to leave the house. No, and when they do leave the house, guess what? They're not going to. They won't be able to make you know do things on their own. Right. It, it's a it's just a tough one. But I think the other thing I as a teller. One of the things I've had to really do in asking my questions is seeking to understand mm-hmm. because I often am very my, – my legs get tons of exercise. I have phenomenal calves because I am jumping to conclusions all the time. <laughs> and uh, and Martha would – you know she would tell you, yes, Jim, um, are your legs sore right now because you're jumping to conclusions? I mean it's – you know, it, you got to – Jesus did so good at that. I mean – his, I think his most phenomenal exchange ever demonstrated was with the woman at the well. Mm. You know, he, he, he just – he dug in. He asked great questions. He sought to understand even though he had an inside edge that you and I don't have. Although, no, we've got access to the Holy Spirit. But he was having a conversation with a woman, which was forbidden, with a woman who had been married five times, living with the sixth guy. Even today, that's unheard of being married five times. I mean – she was, and she was a Samaritan, a, a Jewish half breed. It was a phenomenal conversation, but Jesus did. He got right to the core of the issue, and he loved her right where she was at. And she was a faithful follower. She went and helped lead her entire city to Christ because Jesus had an interchange with her that touched her heart. And we've got that same opportunity every day if we would just take a few minutes and notice the people that are around us. Seek to understand where they're coming from, and and allow the Holy Spirit to direct our questions. Yeah, and He did it in love. And yes, know, so you know, th- you know, as people are listening to this, Jim, right? And they're like, okay, 
you know, my cube, I'm a nurse, I'm a doctor, I'm a business owner, and I think everybody's in leadership, right? We define leadership as if you have influence over one person in an organization, and, and we define an organization as, you know, two or more people that have a common purpose, so that could be or a marriage. Or somebody with two personalities. <laughs> or, yeah, I guess you could, you could organize yourself in that case, yeah. Um, and they say, okay, this is great, I'm hearing this, I want to start showing up, and I want to start bringing my faith into the marketplace, start praying for people, these are great steps. What have you seen as you've worked with so many people that might be things that maybe slow them down or or hold them back from from really kind of operating as a as Christ's emissary at work? I th- that's a long list. I would say the number one is they're not plugged into a church that is helping equip them and connect them what they hear on Sunday with what they do in their nine to five, their quote unquote nine to five. Mm-hmm. Number two, being in a small group where if they're married, they're in a group with other married couples where there's accountability to dig deeper into your faith. And if they're a woman, they're in a women's business owners or leaders or workplace believers group or a man in a, in a men's group that, that they're really – that they're surrounding themselves with people that are doing – they're going through the same struggles and then they can feed off each other. That really keeps people from growing. I find most – but I would say probably more than anything, number one. Most Christ followers are not reading their scriptures. They don't mm. know what the Bible has to say. They don't know who God really is. And number two, most Christ followers have no idea how to pray. And it's those other things, accountability and small groups and those kinds of things. And church is great. But if as a Christ follower, I'm going to say I'm following Jesus. I need to know who Jesus is. I need to know who my heavenly father is. I need to know how to access the Holy Spirit. And I need to know how to pray and intercede for the people I work with. Those are things that I think the church has really missed out in in driving that stuff home. I mean, when was the last time you went to church and and some and the scripture came up? It didn't come up on the screen. It comes up on the screen because nobody brings their Bible to church anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody pulls out their smartphone and goes to their Bible app. Yeah, well, and that's okay. But what happens when you're and you underline in your Bible app? What happens when that? Bible app dies, your phone dies. You know, I, I keep telling one of the greatest things I'm looking forward to, now that I'm looking forward to, but I told my father, the only thing I want when he goes, my dad's in his mid eighties. He said, the only thing I want when you go is I want your Bible. That's the mm-hmm. only thing I want. Because from the time he became a, a Christ follower on March the 6th, 1983, he has read his Bible every day and he's underlined and he's dated the pages. He's read it. That's what I want because that's the legacy that I inherited. I became a Christ follower before he did, but when at 50, my father's life was transformed by Jesus, and he's been reading the scriptures for 34 years. That's what I want my legacy to be laid by. I want if people don't ever read the scriptures, they're never going to really understand how graceful and merciful and compassionate our heavenly father is. Sorry, I could go on and on and on. Well, I got to tell I'm glad you brought that up because I got, you know, I'm embarrassed to say, you know, going through everything I've been through in life, but I have never read the entire Bible. So in in my resolute my my commitment to to God in 2016 was to read the entire Bible. So I got the 365 Bible. Yep. And I read the entire Bible. I read it every single day and I finished it last year. Now I'm actually redoing it. And I got to tell you Reading the and reading in that format, right? It's Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and Proverb each day. It's like kind of a piece of each of these. Phenomenal. And you're you're seeing how everything, this fabric 
that all flows together, that this entire book is all about Jesus, what he did, who he is, our relationship with him, what his promises are to us, what he wants us to, you know, he, the, the, you know, something that really struck out, you know, uh, I remember reading that he wants to call his friend. That, that just blew me away. And, but when you, I got to tell you, it transformed reading the whole scripture for me, my knowledge of two things. First of all, who God is. And the second is not who I am, but who God created me to be. And it was a, it was a, it was, maybe that sounds like a subtle shift, but to understand who I am from God's perspective, as this was revealed to me, as I read the scripture, really changed my ability to show up very differently in a very affirming, positive, pastoral way in the lives of other people. And it is amazing when you read the scriptures. And reading through it one time gives you a little bit of a picture. I've read through it 30 times, I suppose. And you just, every time you go through, I'm like, I don't ever remember reading that. I mean, it's when you start, when you read the Old Testament, you see how it leads up to Jesus. And then you read Jesus's genealogy and, and you look at the people that led that were in the path. You got Rahab, the prostitute. You got Judah's uh, illegitimate son with his daughter-in-law Tamar. You, you, you got you got Ruth the Moabite, mm-hmm. who was. A, a, I mean, all of those are in the genealogy leading up to. It's either Mary or Joseph. I can't remember which one it is. But the one-year Bible is a phenomenal resource for people to be able to say, "Okay, keep me on track." But I will challenge you this, John, to help put the whole picture together. The one-year chronological Bible was earth-shattering because then it interspersed the prophets into Chronicles and Kings. First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. So where the prophets were in and amongst all those kings, and then it took all of the letters of Paul and interspersed them all through the Book of Acts, so you could see where he was when he was writing those books, and and you put it in chronological. Oh, oh man! Oh, that would be powerful because you know you know reading the prophets, right? I mean, there's a lot in there, right, toward the end of the New Te- the Old Testament, and going back and kind of let you know mapping that into what you had read before. Because, right, it, so I'm going to get that. That's going to be awesome. It, it is incredible. You know, it's uh, just a, a listener out there. Maybe there's somebody listening that happens to be of, uh, of Jewish descendancy or of Jewish faith. Well, I have been learning recently that the Jews have been told almost categorically that the New Testament is a Jew bashing book, that it's all about the bashing of the Jews. They don't know what the, bo- what the book, what the New Testament really is all about. And and so you, if you've got a friend that's a that's a Jew, just encourage him to read it, to actually study it, to prove because it, it's 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 not anything about a Jew bashing. I I meet Jewish friends. I say, listen, my Savior is a Jew. I'm an adopted Jew according to the Scriptures. You got to read this stuff. It, it's too good to be true. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, so I'll jump back off the soapbox. This is your show. No, <laughs> no, I love it. Hey, let's talk about this, right? Um, how to pray. Uh, I think when you said that, a lot of people really resonated with that, right? They they think they know how to pray, right? We know the Lord's Prayer. A lot of times, you know, our list is, you know, help this person or do this, or I need help with this, or give me clarity. Um, but when you say we need to learn how to pray, what do you mean by that? Well, let me just preface it with this. Um, in 2005, I started a job. I, I live over on the beach on the west coast of Florida, and I started a job in Orlando, and I was commuting 90 miles each way to work. And I made the commitment because I knew I was going to be in my car 
each way an hour and a half plus. And some days during spring break, <laughs> it's more like it was almost three hours coming home. I made the commitment in the morning never to turn the radio on. And I'm a radio guy, mm-hmm. and I wasn't then, but I'm a radio guy. I've loved listening to talk radio. I mean, I'm a talk radio addict. And I said, nope, I'm going to pray in the morning. And I started making a list. I started making a list of my family members. And then as prayer requests came, I just started writing them down so I wouldn't forget. But but I started to learn how to pray. And and I followed that thing. I learned back in high school, and you might have learned it back in high school too, the 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 acts prayer model. So you 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 just praise God for who he is and, and then you 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 confess your sins and you, and sometimes you don't even know what the sin is in your life. We just say, Lord, would you just reveal to me the stuff I'm struggling with? Mm-hmm. And I made a list, I made a list of of like 17 things that I very consistently struggle with. And I could go through that list very, started with anger, bitterness, and rage. And then it went with uh, abusive and abrasive behavior and, you know, prideful. And and it goes all the way down to my last two are insensitive and judgmental. I mean, stuff I struggle with all the time, greed and gluttony and all these things. And Lord, I just want to confess that stuff to you because that opens the door to our hearts with the Lord to be able to start hearing his voice when we confess that stuff. But then go into Thanksgiving and thanking God for what you have and and what God has put in your place. I got a minivan, John. I, I used to be a car addict, and I used to sell used cars for the sole purpose of I want to drive a different car every week, and I did so for 15 years. Uh, and I now have a minivan I've owned for 10 years, and it has 250,000 miles on it, and that's proof that God can heal anybody. <laughs> but but that minivan was that minivan became my my prayer closet because mm. I spent I spent an hour and a half every day praying in my car. And I and and as I was praying and I was being quiet and praying, sometimes I had to pray out loud so I didn't get distracted. Uh, I just saw the Lord transform my heart and start to when I started praying for people I was ticked at and asking for forgiveness for being bitter at them. I started my heart started changing. I started getting compassion for what I would call my enemies. I started seeing it. I just started seeing my whole life change because I started to experience God for who Jesus experienced God to be. A, a compassionate lover of my soul, and it was amazing. But it took time. You can't you can't have a transformational prayer relationship if you spend five minutes. You're not gonna. Mm-hmm. It takes time. And, and, and I don't know that that beginning of that prayer time was really the biggest part of my testimony because it was part of that prayer time. And then on that job, which was the job I loved better than any other job I've ever had in my entire life, because I used every skill I ever had. I got introduced to Oz Hillman's Today God is First uh, Daily Devotional for Workplace Believers. Oh, that's and fantastic. In, and Oz two, is fantastic. Uh, I, and and it was in that email for the first time in 2006, a buddy of mine out of Atlanta said, Jim, you got to read this. And never, nobody ever told me that my workplace could be my mission field. When I committed my life to Christ, John, I committed my life to full-time Christian ministry. When Martha and I graduated from college from Mankato State University in Mankato, Minnesota, where the Ingalls used to go to get supplies, <laughs> I, I enrolled at Bethel Seminary. I was enrolled in Bethel Seminary to go get a, a, a master's of divinity because I want to be a pastor because I committed my life to full-time Christian ministry. Nobody until from 1980. Eight when I in eighty seven when I graduated from college till two thousand and six nobody in thirty years ever told me. Well, I guess that's only twenty years. And twenty years ever told me that my workplace was my ministry place, because I wasn't a pastor. I could never handle having four hundred bosses. <laughs> so I mean that all led to where I am today, uh, talking daily about faith and work. And I know again this is your show. I'll, I'll be quiet now. Well, no, I think you're bringing up a great point because you know I shared with you a little bit, right? As I 
went through this whole process and really connected to what my calling was. And it was called to equip, equip marketplace leaders, mm-hmm. you know, to accomplish what God has created and inspired in them. And as I shared this vision with my pastor, who'd been there as I went through my accident, um, he, he honestly didn't know how to help me. He said, well, if you want to do something, you know, with business folks, you want to, you can use some of the space here in the church and, you know, here's a couple of people you can talk to. I thought that was kind of this odd conversation. Um, and then, but as I kept trying to meet with him to get his advice on how to do this, how to like pastor, shepherd, exhort, you know, this group of people that are in the marketplace, they're outside of ministry, they're outside of traditional ministry in the church. He, he, he really like separated, like he was uncomfortable. He did not know how to work with me. We ended up actually leaving that church. And what I would tell people that if you're in that situation, your church, and now you talked about before, right? You go to the church to get equipped on Sunday so you can bring that out Monday through Friday. And if that's not a, a place where you're getting that from, um, you don't have to necessarily leave the church, but you need to go find like-minded people that are on the same path, that they want to do this, where you can uh, equip each other, you can encourage each other, you can share where you did well, where you can share where you messed up. Um, but you can be, you know, if we want to, if we want to go um, fast, we can go alone. This is an old African proverb, right? But if we want to go far, we go together. And I think being right. in community as you're working, it's shifting what you do right now, uh, nine to five, Monday through Friday, into something that's really kingdom building. Doing this with other people and finding other people is really powerful. How many years ago was that you had that conversation with your pastor? Well, my accident was five years ago. So it was really, so that was probably 2012, over 2012 and 13. Um, and that's when I really realized that, you know what, this is, this is not where I'm going to get what I need to go do what God's called me to do. The phenomenal news today is that there is an organization strategically targeting pastors to help them understand the faith and work movement, and it's called the Made to Flourish movement. And Made to Flourish is an organization strategically designed for pastors to understand the equipping of the saints for the marketplace and the workplace. And there's also, there's so many resources. I mean, everybody listening today, there are I mean, they could always email me or you and ask about books they can read or organizations. I mean, I interviewed, I think we've done almost 800 shows and I work for him. It is, there are so many resources, so many ministries out there. They could do the discipleship today. They can come alongside a pastor today or come alongside us as as workplace believers that one, in 2006, there was a few. And today there's like thousands. It's amazing mm-hmm. the movement of God in this world. Yeah, if you start looking, right, when the teachers, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. I think if you if you really want to move into what Jim and I have been talking about in this last hour, um, there's nothing there's nothing to hold you back. I mean, I mean the relationships, the resources, the knowledge, how to really change your, you know, that knowledge, kind of your attitudes toward it and your actions as you show up at work. Um as you start to make those changes, uh it's not that hard to find what you need if you're just, if you just seek it. That's for sure. It really isn't. Now, as we wrap up, Jim, what are just some final thoughts you'd like to leave with people as they've just been listening in for the last 45 minutes or so? Be encouraged. Your workplace is your mission field. And in that mission field, 
you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. You have a high calling. Some people get called to the pulpit. Some people get called to the foreign mission field. But the majority of us get called to our cubicles. You may be the only hope for the people that you work alongside. If you don't bring your faith to work, they will spend an eternity separated from God Possibly because you didn't share with them the hope that you have in Jesus. You have an incredible opportunity right where you're at. Don't be in such a hurry to 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 chase after a dream in another place because you're uncomfortable. Start praying that God will help you see your workplace as a mission field. And your life, I can guarantee it, your life will never be the same again. Oh, man, that was that was powerful. And, and everybody, I know you're listening and you want to connect with Jim and he, your, his website is I work for him. And that's the number four. So I W O R K the number four him dot com. And how else can they connect with you, Jim? You know, we're um, on every day. We broadcast at three o'clock right here in Tampa Bay. But that's also live on iHeartRadio. If they just go to the Faith Talk 570 channel on iHeartRadio. But then we're on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Um, we're also on another radio station, Red Nation Rising, which is an internet station. But we're on multiple places five days a week. Uh, but the best way is they go to iWorkForHim.com, iWorkTheNumberForHim.com. They can click on the Listen tab, and it will show them lots of different ways to hear this message uh, and, and be encouraged. And of course, we're on Facebook, I Work For Him. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. And if there's anything I can do or our whole community to serve and support you, man, just let us know. We'd love to be, love to help you just keep getting the word out, the message out, the equipping that you're doing, the pastoring that you're doing. And and thank you sincerely for putting yourself out there because you are one of those people, you know, a hundred times, a hundred times, a hundred, touching millions of people and equipping them. And I truly appreciate what you're doing with your life, following your calling and, and you and you and Martha, both of you, you're just amazing people. Well, praise God for that. He's given, he's given a, a, a guy that didn't deserve this position, a position like this. And to, to have this influence, uh, it is clearly an honor. And I pray that every day I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing with it what God wants me to do. Awesome. All right, my friend, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, John. All right, see you, pal. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, moving from success to significance. And in the more than 20 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and it's now touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season asking, is this all there is, as well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement. To get a free copy of the book, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read it, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. Eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't beat getting a free bestseller. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.